Um, we have a rather diverse group here today. Uh, and I think what will be helpful this morning will work more intuitively in terms of the length of the sittings and the walkings. Uh, and I'll have to do a bit more talking to begin with to give you some background. Uh, why do this? Why uh, bother? What is insight? Where does this all come from? And uh, a few hints as to where it leads. Uh, we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves because uh, the practice itself will teach you all that you need to know. But some background is needed or helpful, and then we'll go through instructions in a very detailed way, I hope, uh, covering a lot of your questions. And, and there'll be opportunities uh, to discuss the practice as it unfolds. This morning, for example, we'll do some sitting meditation and walking meditation. And then before lunch, there'll be an opportunity for us to talk over what's happened so I can uh, hear from you and see if I can be helpful. The practice that we'll be doing is called, as you know, Insight Meditation or Vipassana. Uh, insight is a pretty good English translation of it. It means seeing into. Sometimes it's meant special seeing or deep seeing. Um, and seeing is so important, as used here, the word seeing is so important, because in the Buddha's teaching, it's that which set, that's what sets us free from our suffering. It's not trying to wiggle free from it or to escape, but actually seeing our condition exactly as it is, is what liberates us. And so we have to learn how to really pay attention uh, many of us are already, probably all of us, are good at paying attention in certain realms. I remember we had uh, at IMS once a, <clears throat> a famous brain surgeon who obviously has the ability to pay attention, but mainly in the operating room. Whereas when it came to his own mind, very, very difficult for him. So I think we're all in that boat. Uh, we all have areas where we're quite sensitive, attentive, uh, often because we're keenly interested. It may be anything, really. Photography, parenting, something that really interests you so you're attentive. And because you're attentive, you learn about that realm. You can see it clearly. You gain insights from it. And those insights help you understand how to live. Uh, the insights I'm speaking here, although to begin with, some are in thought, but the real insights are not verbal. It's just the seeing itself teaches you. It's not a, an intellectual acquisition. That may come later. So the Buddha's whole teaching rests on a rather simple, to me anyway, simple assumption. Uh, it's not an assumption for me anymore, and I don't want to assume that it is for, that uh, for you it may still be. The assumption is that there's an enormous amount of unnecessary suffering in life. That there must be pain is inescapable. If you have a body, of course, no amount of meditation or Sufi dancing or organic food or whatever else goes on here uh, will exempt you from that. All of us uh, must age. We must get sick from time to time, and eventually we die. So that fact is always staring us in the face. Uh, now, even that can change 
as we learn to understand that process. But in the meantime, as we live out our life, it seems as if we make an enormous amount of unnecessary suffering, you could even say torment for ourselves, because, and again, this is a theory until you make it your own, because we don't fully understand ourselves. We don't fully understand how we're living. We don't, don't understand the consequences of what we're doing, saying, thinking, feeling, and so forth. Uh, and we don't because we're inattentive. Ignorance is the key term in the Buddhist teaching. Wisdom is, in a sense, the medicine for ignorance. One of the meanings of ignorance is to ignore. So we ignore large realms of our life, and as a result, we don't understand those realms. So the simple logic is, if we put it into a question, what if we turn all that around? Instead of ignoring our feelings, instead of ignoring the way the body is, instead of ignoring the many productions of the mind, instead of ignoring some of the consequences of our actions, what if we started to pay attention? Mindfulness, you probably all have heard that word now, it's becoming uh, catching up to organic and natural, in other words like that, holistic. For all I know, it's bypassed them, at least temporarily. Uh, so this quality of attention is central to what we're learning. Um, it's an attention that, although we already have it, or so that is, we already have the foundation, the basis for it, we wouldn't be human if we weren't able to pay attention. But yet, with training, there's a refinement of this capacity to pay attention that goes well beyond what we can imagine if you're new. Those of you who have done some retreats know that the possibilities of the human mind are quite extraordinary, literally infinite. So if we pay attention uh, to, to our actual life as we actually live it out from moment to moment, and if we keep refining that capacity to pay attention, uh, it is said that what comes out of that is a kind of learning, a deep seeing. Sometimes there are words, but really the deepest understanding comes from the seeing itself, where we get a glimpse of, ah, okay. And also many kinds of uh, thoughts and feelings that are uh, disruptive, troublesome, that create suffering for us, start to thin out and lose their power. And we find the mind a much more clear and pleasant place and joyful place to inhabit. When the Buddha taught, one method that he used, he actually attained his own enlightenment using, is a method called, I won't use too many technical terms, but <clears throat> a few uh, I think are maybe helpful. It's called anapanasati. It's a Pali word. By the way, I don't think there's any point in taking notes. Uh, please don't be insulted. Start practicing mindfulness right now. Uh, the words are not that important. You probably have heard most of what I have to say, probably all of it, or read it. What is important is to start practicing mindfulness right at this moment. In this case, it would mean listening. Okay. Uh, and if you really want to know, you know, in the modern world gives us tapes, but uh, you'll see you won't need to know these details because you'll be hearing them said over and over during these days in slightly different ways. So you've already begun to practice at this moment if you practice listening. So what does that mean? Uh, in order to learn how to listen, you have to listen to how you listen. And you learn how to listen by seeing how inattentive you are. You know, 
it's not so much that you force strain, like all of you now going like that. It isn't that at all. Just relax. Close your eyes or not. It's up to you. But attend to the words. Attend to the, whatever it is that's coming to you. Right now I'm speaking. Later on you'll have a chance to speak. And as you listen, you'll notice that the mind will agree with certain things, disagree with other things, uh, love that, hate that. Suddenly it's thinking about something that has nothing to do with being here. You're gone, Keokuk, Iowa or someplace, Brooklyn, New York. Okay. And then, oh, and then you're back, five minutes have gone by. Okay, it's not, too, it's not a, a criminal offense. It's just, so you come back to this moment right now. What's been lost is over with. If you haven't been attentive, fine. And then you start right again by paying attention. So that is much more valuable than accumulating uh, these incredible pearls of wisdom that I'm giving you. Because you'll really be doing it. So, let, so you're already starting. You've already started to meditate. Uh, if while you're listening you notice that you're not paying attention so well because your body's uncomfortable, that's practice too. You've already begun. You're starting to notice that the body... Uh, has an urge to change its position. It doesn't like this way, sitting this way. So we haven't even had any instructions and we're already, the retreat has already begun. Okay, so <clears throat> anapanasati, or the full awareness of breathing as it's sometimes translated, uh, what the Buddha did was take advantage. A lot of the Buddha's teachings are extraordinarily simple. It seems that he was a master of observing the obvious and devised techniques which are as, as simple as the observations. One is that just to pay attention. We all know we pay attention. He really took that and developed it dramatically. The other is that we're breathing. Everyone in this hall is breathing right now. But what he added to that is that if we pay attention to the breathing, that is, if we are conscious of our breathing, something happens. Not only does the quality of the breath change, but the mind starts to become calm and clear. It's lawful. Millions of people have done it before us for thousands of years. Everyone here can learn it. If you learn nothing else during our five or so days together, I hope you can learn that just this simple turning to your breathing at any time, really, um, as you learn how to do that, has a settling effect uh, and brings with it a certain concentration and serenity. It's relatively painless. The breath is already happening. It's natural and ordinary. All you have to do is notice it. And of course, we'll spend more time with that. So one part of the practice, in this fo it's a form of vipassana. There are many forms of vipassana, many schools. Uh, most of them use, the, use breathing. Perhaps all of them do. I would say all of them that I know, and I know a fair number, do use breathing. But if you just concentrate on the breathing, what you will attain eventually is a very calm mind. You'll taste a certain amount of peace and joy, and that's very helpful in life. You might say, sounds good enough to me. Let's just quit. Let's not get greedy. But you see, the calm and the stability and the concentration that you develop by observing your breath, and we'll be doing some walking meditation, observing the walking, uh, helps the mind settle down. It helps the mind become unified and coherent. But that isn't wisdom yet. So you'll just be, we will just be a calm fool 
we'd be just as foolish, only we'd be rather calm. And it wouldn't take much for us to lose our calm because we'll do the same foolish things over and over again. I wonder why I'm not calm again. Well, you just insulted someone and then they uh, knocked you out and then they fired you. Oh, is that what happened? Gee, I don't, I'm not calm anymore. No, it's not that you're not calm anymore. You're not wise. You don't understand how to live yet. Nothing personal. I'm speaking to myself. Okay. So the second, so one mode of practice will be doing that uh, what I'm gonna, what I hope I can accomplish, I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't, I'm, uh, I think I'm a, pretty realistic. We only have four and a half days together. I think we can accomplish a great deal, mainly to introduce you, to give you a, a tongue taste, an hors d'oeuvre, as to the possibilities of this approach. And if it interests you, then you'll take it further. And if not, then you've tried it. Try something else. Um, so the first, certainly today, we'll spend a great deal of time noticing that we're breathing in and that we're breathing out. And I'll be giving you some suggestions as to how to do that and uh, what, that, what that is. As the mind begins to calm down and become more steady, then there's a second kind of practice that we'll be doing, uh, probably, I would say probably Wednesday, maybe a little bit tomorrow, although you'll be doing some of it anyway, is with that enhanced clarity and calmness, uh, we'll now be sitting not entirely focused on the breathing, but just lightly in touch with the breath. And as we're sitting and breathing, having an open kind of panoramic attentiveness with no agenda in particular. That is, we'll be uh, sitting and breathing. The breathing will be a kind of friend or an anchor, enabling us to sit and to be with what? I don't know. It's to be with whatever's there, and it'll be different for each one of us. So then you're, you're just sitting. The beauty of the sitting position is that it's a dramatically simplified piece of life. You don't have to speak to anyone. You don't, you're not eating. You're not working. All of your responsibilities have been temporarily, uh, you're excused. You only have one left, to be with yourself, the hardest one of all. And so the practice will be actually the art of doing nothing, just sitting here and breathing, this is the second aspect of practice. We'll be trying to learn both of these and also how to weave them together. You'll just be sitting and breathing and noticing what turns up. Sometimes the mind will be very quiet. Fine. You listen to that silence. Sometimes fear will, fear will come up. Can you learn how to observe fear? If you can, that's the beginnings of the end of fear. Sometimes you'll love being here. Sometimes you'll hate being here. You'll be bored and lonely and excited and get so thrilled you want to become a monk or a nun. And then uh, the, the next sitting you want to cash in your ticket here and get on the first bus home. And, you know, you're just going to... Now, I know this because you're human, I am, and we have the same mind. So get ready for uh, having a mind that's going to go through many changes. I'm willing to wager money on it, I'm so sure of it. So one of the main skills, now this will be in general for the whole retreat, and I'll encourage you how to, to do this even when we're not doing our formal practice, even when you're participating in many of the events here. What's really difficult in Vipassana meditation, and I would say that's true of Zen, which I have had a fair amount of training as well. I don't know Tibetan Buddhism so well. Is not sitting for 10 years without moving 
or even a half an hour without moving. It's not um, concentrating on your breath even, as helpful as all that is. The hardest skill to learn and the hardest one to teach is very, very ordinary, simple, but difficult because we have so much resistance. What it is is learning how to be with yourself exactly as you are. Just uh, letting yourself be, to just be you. So in a sense, it's learning how to do that. Uh, we have to learn how to be ourselves, it seems. And so the practice, especially as we do the second mode, has everything to do with seeing that the meditation, for example, if you should find yourself bored, and I'm sure some of you will, uh, then you might think, well, boredom, if only I weren't bored, then I could be having a really good meditation retreat. No, the boredom is your meditation retreat. It's not an obstacle or a barrier, it's, the me it's what you contemplate. What is boredom? Most of us have spent so much time getting away from boredom or drowning in it. Here, we observe it. We're not for or against it. We don't condemn it. We also don't uh, mount it on a, and praise it, put it up on some altar somewhere. It's what's there in the mind in that moment. All human beings are bored from time to time. All of us are afraid. We're overjoyed. We feel love. We feel hate. So we're learning how to feel the full range of human experience. Not in an abstract way, because it's in us. It's, this is the book we're reading, our own book. If you want to buy the books in the store, that's good. But they're all telling you this. You can, do, you can get it, save a lot of money. The main book to read is you. If you read all of the combined teachings of the Buddha, but you don't read yourself, tears are streaming down the Buddha's cheeks right now. Whereas if you don't read any of that, but you really learn how to learn about yourself, not a thinking learning, but a direct, sensitive, attentive learning, then the Buddha is very, very happy because uh, he's done his job. Um, so that's roughly what's happening. Now, the, another uh, aspect of Vipassana meditation is that it's not limited to, to formal places like this, formal postures like sitting and walking. There'll be basically two formal postures. Sometimes we'll do standing meditation, perhaps, and even lying down meditation. And I'll explain how you can work with those when you get home. But uh, the Buddha says hundreds of times, maybe more, in his teachings, uh, to be mindful in all four postures, standing, sitting, lying down, and walking. In other words, in life. Wherever you are, it's possible to be mindful. That means that you can, the practice is really more a way of life than a method or a technique. Although to begin with, it's going to feel very much like a technique if this is new to you. That means you can practice it waiting online. You can practice it um, sitting anywhere. Not, I don't mean a, in a, on a meditation cushion. You can practice it when you're with another person. The practice would be that you're really alert to what the other person is saying and you're really hearing them, and you're also in touch with your reaction to that other person. So that's meditation in action. So this simple mindfulness has endless applications. And put in more ordinary language, maybe less pompous language, uh, when you begin to learn the art of mindful living, uh, what you're learning is how to be more alive. Uh, according to these teachings, we're all half alive because we're so divided. Whenever we're uh, here, we're thinking about there. Then we get to there, then we think about where we were, where here was. 
And what we're learning is to uh, be fully there, fully present wherever we are. And by now, this has become a cultural cliche, hasn't it? Don't, haven't you all heard that one? Okay. Now that all that's left is we have to do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this practice is gentle. It will honor where you are. In other words, I'm not going to try to push you beyond where you are a little bit. Otherwise, there's no learning. So it has to challenge you to some degree. But not so much that you're overwhelmed. Uh, and the materials that we have to practice with are just our ordinary self as we find ourselves. A person who thinks and feels and breathes and has bodily conditions and so forth. Okay. We'll say more, but right for right now, insight meditation or vipassana is seeing into the nature of our life. The materials are our life exactly as it is. We bring nothing else into it except this capacity to pay attention and to learn. The breath can help us do that. And I'll say more about that, not only here in the formal sittings, but also during the day. Because you're always breathing, so you can use that to help you stay awake. Perhaps that's enough for right now, and I think... Um, any questions about what I said? Because we'll start to actually do the practice, and then your questions will come from your experience, which I think will be more beneficial. But is there anything that I've said that, uh, if it's going to spin around in your mind, then that will block you, I'd be, I'll try to answer it. Okay, you know, you've already been sitting for a while. So if you don't mind, please stand up and uh, stretch, move, wiggle, whatever, because the sittings... Uh, Okay, find what's uh, the ideal in the sitting posture is to find a posture that's both comfortable and stable. Comfortable and stable. Now to begin with, you probably won't be comfortable or stable. <laughs> but th th we learn. It's something that can be learned. The body can learn how to do this. This won't be uh, a very long sitting. I'd like for us to gradually enter into the sitting and walking. And, and I'll tell you how to work with your mind and your body as if you feel overextended, as you may feel sometimes. Okay, so I'm assuming that to the best of your ability, you found some posture that's. Uh, upright, so that your, your head, neck, and back are in a straight line as much as you can, according to your own judgment. Remember, you, those who are really new, you may need to experiment a bit to find out uh, just which way is best for you to sit. So come to a position that feels reasonable for you in terms of uh, stability, uprightness, and very gently um, Close your eyes so that the eyes are resting very softly, not held tight.
And let's briefly take a journey through the body. You can do it yourself, just essentially looking for any places where there are tension, there is tension. Typically, especially if you're rather new at this, there's a, we're poised for action. We really want to do it right. We want to do it well. And so the shoulders are tight and the jaws tight and we're gritting our teeth. It's not even necessary to relax these tense areas. You just bring mindfulness to them and perhaps you'll see that the relaxation seems to come from the seeing of the tension. Mindfulness is a, very, is a power. It's a very refined and subtle one. As you develop it, it affects what it touches. And I think you'll find it affects it for the better. Now, if you like, take two or three deep breaths, deep meaning relative to your own normal way of breathing, just breathing in and out two or three times through the nose. But now, allowing the breathing to flow naturally. What this means is that we're not attempting to regulate the breath in any way whatsoever. We're not trying to shape the breath to be a special way. Perhaps you've, you've been doing yoga or tai chi or some forms of breath therapy and you've come to know uh, which breaths are more beneficial and healthy than others. That's of course extremely useful. But for right now, that isn't what's being emphasized. What we're learning is how to observe. And so however the breath is, is fine. We're not trying to get the perfect breath, but rather we're learning how to pay attention to the breath exactly as it is. Where? Where should you tend? I would suggest that for most people, either the nose or the abdomen is a good place to start, and then see which one you prefer. Try it for a bit. Some of you I already know where to go. And then stay with that. It won't always be the most vivid for you, but it's not so wise to keep jumping around. First the nose, then the tummy, and so forth. As your practice develops, where you attend to the breath may develop and change. At a certain point, uh, you may find you don't have to attend to any place in particular to notice the breath. You're so in touch with breathing that you just feel it. But to begin with, it's very, very helpful to give our attention a locus, a location at the nose, at the abdomen, or two places. Some of you perhaps are already working at the chest. If that works for you, fine. It's pragmatic. Wherever you choose, which does this place help you sustain your attention? 
Okay, I'm assuming now you're attending to the breathing somewhere. Those of you who are rather new may want to use words like in, out, in, out, just to help you stay close to the breathing. And as your ability to do that develops, you can drop the words. The words are just supports. Mainly what we're learning is how to become intimate with the breathing. Our whole practice is learning the art of intimacy, where there's no separation between us and our experience. And we're learning on a rather unassuming function, vital as it is, the breath. Just feeling each breath as it happens. It's not an idea or an image. You don't have to know anything about anatomy or physiology. What you're feeling are sensations in the body. If you're at the nose, you can feel breath movements, sensations moving and affecting the nasal passages or the upper lip. If you're at the abdomen, you can feel those sensations. Now, while you're attending to the breathing, Ideally, the body is upright, as, men, as was mentioned, and relaxed. While you're doing this, the world doesn't stop. It keeps going, doesn't it? So thoughts will float through the mind, likes and dislikes, and the birds are chirping away, so am I. Your body feels a certain way, moods come and go. Let them. We're not at war with anything. We're learning how to peacefully coexist with every aspect of ourself. But we're featuring the breath right now. And so the thoughts will come and go. They'll chase each other through the mind. We're not for the thoughts, nor are we against them. They're just there. They're just thoughts doing their thing, thinking their way in and out of the mind. And what we're doing is breathing in, and breathing out, breathing in, and breathing out, taking each breath exactly as it is, something else that can help us is to keep physical movement of the body to a minimum. Every time we wiggle and scratch and shift and move the body, we set off reverberations and, um, that affect the mind a bit. So if you can, uh, keep that kind of physical movement to a really bare minimum. Later on, we'll learn how to work in, more, in a more precise way with discomfort. But for right now, 
just breathing in, breathing out, moving as little as possible. But if in your opinion you find that you simply must move, then do it very, very slowly and consciously so that the current of mindfulness is not broken. Staying in touch with your breathing as you perhaps alter your posture a little bit. Okay, so we're sitting and breathing. If you haven't already noticed it, at some point you probably will. The mind seems to have a mind of its own. And even though you all have heard these instructions, you are intelligent, the instructions are simple. Nonetheless, the mind will dart somewhere else. It doesn't want to be with the breath. It wants to worry, plan, fantasize anything but what it's decided to do, or what someone else has decided for it to do. So when the mind drifts off the breath, you slip off it, and you find yourself caught up somewhere else. Remember, all along things have been happening, and that's all right, because you're breathing in and breathing out, and you haven't lost touch with the breathing. But it's only when you lose touch with the breathing that your attention completely slips off the breath, and you find yourself elsewhere. As soon as you notice that, ease back to the breath once again. Now this is an extremely important part of the practice. It's very easy to overlook it. To begin with, the human mind, at least all the minds that I've known and come in contact with, are wild. There's not much calm or peace in them except from time to time. And so, of course, the mind is going to slip off the breath many, many times before even our five days together are over. And so how you come back to the breath is extremely important. Don't come back with blame, with harsh judgment, where you set up some standard of perfection, being a great yogi, and then when the mind slips off the breath and you find yourself elsewhere, uh, you punish yourself for it. The coming back is not an obstacle to the practice, it is the practice. If you didn't need to come back to the breath over and over at this point, you wouldn't need to be here. And so we're learning gently, but in a very sustained way, how to help the mind calm down. As it learns how to do this, as it learns how to taste silence and calmness, it will be very grateful and will want to do it on its own. It won't need so much help from the outside. But to begin with, it needs all the help it can get. And us blaming ourselves doesn't do much good. So if your mind slips off the breath a thousand times in a sitting, come back to the breathing a thousand times. Period. Okay, let's follow these instructions for the next few minutes. Feel free to relax a bit. 
When you see me bowing like this, one meaning of it is not very exotic. Uh, it's simply when we bow to each other, we're thanking each other for practicing. That is, because you're here, you're helping my practice. Perhaps because I'm here, I'm helping your practice. So we're just acknowledging that. On a deeper level, um, it's bowing to the Buddha within. Now that may say, seem, you may not be here to learn about Buddhism. And really the essence of Vipassana is not an ism or an ideology at all. Uh, but it's acknowledging that uh, in this teaching, what the Buddha was saying was that he was a human being and that the attainments that the Buddha came upon are in each one of us. They're obscured. The practice is a kind of stripping away of all the layers of uh, confusion and craving and anger and so forth uh, to come to what in some Buddhist traditions is called our true nature or our original nature. So don't feel that you have to do it. I just like to do it, and I'm not insulted if you don't. Um, one bit of etiquette for the hall that I neglected to mention. It's fine, let's say, if you're really in a lot of physical pain. Of course you know you can use chairs, but in the midst of the sitting you're doing, it's fine to stand up and to do your meditation in the standing posture. That is, as you're standing, be in touch with your breathing. Also, some of you, perhaps, this is famous after, the, after lunch, may find yourself getting a little bit doing this kind of meditation. Okay. Uh, and there are ways of working with it, and we'll, of course, go into it, but sometimes just standing up. I haven't seen anyone fall over yet from standing up. So it's a pretty good safeguard. And then you continue your meditation standing. Um, what I'd like to do for the remainder of this morning is uh, uh, launch you on your, for those of you who are new, walking meditation practice, give you some preliminary hints on how to do that. Uh, then we'll have an opportunity to sit again. And then I'd like to hear from you uh, to see how all this is, uh, what's happening with you. Walking meditation uh, actually has many, many forms. Uh, I can, if, I, if you made me, I could probably think of about 20 or 25 different ways to do walking meditation, and there are more. Uh, the basic one, and it may turn out that finally the most valuable one, is the simplest, and it is when you're walking, to just walk. Have you heard that one? To know you're walking. Okay. Uh, when you walk, just walk. When you sit, just sit. Never wobble. The wobbling is where well, you're in between. You're just not... I don't know, should I walk? No, I think I better sit. Okay. So it's giving yourself wholeheartedly, which of course is a general theme in our practice. Whatever, whatever we do, we do it wholeheartedly in an undivided way. Nothing is trivial or mundane or anything of that sort. But one very uh, helpful, simple walking exercise, a contemplative walking exercise is, these are feet. Can you see my hands in the back? is that what I would do is, as I understand it, if we go to the lake, there's ample room to do walking meditation, although some of you can do it in here if you prefer to stay indoors. Or What you need is a patch of ground about 20 to 30 paces. 20 is fine. Don't go wandering all over. Uh, it'll become a nature walk before long, and you won't be practicing meditation. 
so let's say you have a path for yourself. I mean, make a path for yourself. And everyone cooperates so we don't get in each other's way. So let's say you've staked out a track. Okay. So you might just start by standing. Just standing erect. And just take stock of the standing position and feel your breathing. And then put your awareness in your feet. Or you can put it in your feet and your whole leg, whatever you like. And on the in-breath, raise up. And on the out-breath, come down. You see, it's quite natural for uh, the leg to raise up. This is slow contemplative walking. There are, we'll also do walking, which is natural and even rapid. If we're very sleepy, we'll do some rapid walking around the room to wake up. But this is a very slow contemplative walking exercise so that you put your mind in your feet or in your legs. If those of you are new, I think small is good. Probably just your feet. So uh, you're standing and breathing and then whenever you decide to, on an in-breath, raise up your foot and your mindfulness is inside the foot, so to speak. And it's traveling with the leg as you raise up, as you move, and then as you come down and feel what it's like to touch the surface of the, wherever you are. And then raising up again on the in-breath, coming down on the out-breath. Mindfulness in the foot, in the leg. Now, some of you have had other training, and you may have practices where you prefer to not include the breathing to help you establish a rhythm. That's fine with me. The main thing is to develop, if you have other forms of walking meditation that you already know work for you, that's fine. Don't worry about it, do it. Uh, whatever helps you wake up, I'm all for it. But I'm gonna suggest a few that we can all do together um, to get us started. Okay, so let's say you're doing the walking meditation and you're, you're raising up on the in-breath and coming down on the out-breath raising up on the in-breath, coming down on the out-breath. The extent of the step for most of us about the length of a foot, your foot. No hurry, this is not a particular accomplishment in transportation. We're not getting anywhere. As soon as you get that, it's easier. You'll stop, the ambition will fall away. I've got to get to the end of that track that I've said. No, I mean, why? You don't have to get anywhere. We're not going anywhere. It's a complete, total waste of time from that point of view. What you're practicing is sensitivity to the movement of the body, and we're dramatically simplifying that movement to give us a chance to learn how to be sensitive to the movement of the body. As you learn how to do that, you can little by little extend it into normal walking, and it will help you stay awake throughout your daily life. It's very, very useful. Most of us walk a fair amount. Okay, so let's say while you're doing the walking meditation, all well and good, you understand what I just said. Um, but the mind, again, doesn't want to do walking meditation. It finds it silly and stupid and hates it. and You know, it's like a four-year-old. Nothing personal, my mind too. And uh, you're not really with the feet. You're not, or the, you're not really practicing meditation. You're just um, on automatic pilot. And from the outside, it may look as if you're walking, but you're struggling you're bored or you're angry or you're distracted in some way, come to a halt if it becomes a problem. Just stop, be with your breathing, experience the particular mood that you're in, like I hate this, or it's so stupid I feel self-conscious. You may, especially those of you who are new. See, at a meditation retreat center like at IMS and Barry, everyone looks like a mental patient. 
So when you do it, you feel okay. Here, you may be concerned that some of the people who are bounding along in their, you know, running shoes with their, I don't know, kayaks and tennis rackets, you may feel a little silly. But just watch the mind feel silly. Oh, look at that. It doesn't take much to get me embarrassed. And then when you calm down a little bit, then resume the walking. When you get to the end of your self-established path, come to a halt, just pause, feel a few breaths, and slowly and mindfully turn around. So the turning is also done consciously. And then make your way back and repeat that process. Um, I think for right now, that's all I'd like to say, uh, you'll soon learn that sometimes you need slow walking and sometimes you need rapid walking. Before you go home, I would like you to be able to guide yourself. It's not so complicated. If you're very sleepy, usually it's best to do a more natural or rapid walking, practicing mindfulness as you do it. If you're very restless, uh, slow walking can really be quite helpful. Um, why don't we do that? The walking period would be approximately a half an hour, but I'm going to give you some time to get to wherever you have to get. Let me caution you, because I've seen this happen many, many times, and the, uh, the atmosphere here uh, could be very challenging. First of all, it's beautiful outside. And some of you are going to want to get not only enlightenment, but a beautiful suntan, all for one price. Uh, you can always, there are better, better ways to get a suntan than to come to a Vipassana retreat, don't you think? Uh, so, for right now, see if you can make the most important thing to do, the continuity of this retreat. And you may have to work with a mind that would really rather be just lying on the grass or swimming only naturally. Me too. But let's maintain the continuity and, and also, please, maintain silence unless it's absolutely essential. Um, if you're silent and I'm silent, then we all help each other. If we create uh, an atmosphere of silence, a kind of container, it will protect our practice. But silence is very, very fragile. And we've had so much practice talking. Uh, it's very easy to break it, especially if you've come here with a, a partner or a friend or husband or wife, you may want to share what's going on. Now, I don't mean the whole day. I understand I'm fitting into the rhythm here, and it sounds like a beautiful day that they have planned for us. But during the course of our practicing together, here and then this afternoon, I'd really appreciate it if you do protect the silence, if not for yourself and at least for the rest of us, unless it's really necessary, like if something is frightening you and you need to talk to me, of course. Before we do the walking, whatever we feel, so that whether you walk with shoes or sandals or, what, or barefoot, you'll feel something. As you, as you raise up, you'll begin to experience energy in the foot or the leg and, and, and so forth. Certainly, if you walk without shoes, it'll probably be more vivid. You know, when you touch the ground, that might be helpful. But then again, if you're not liking what the ground feels like, that'll be aversion and that will uh, be a problem. So I, it depends on what, depends on you really. So you decide. Any other questions? Please. Okay, you need just a little bit of attention so that you don't bump into anything. But if we all honor one another, uh, there's just a little bit of attention that's on your periphery and in front of you just to prevent any trouble. But uh, you're not really trying to see anything in particular. Uh, your gaze is a little bit in front of you. Uh, what isn't good to do, and at the beginning it'll be very hard not to do, is to start checking out how everyone else is doing walking meditation. <laughs> Because if you do that, you'll find out how I walk, or how you walk, or how you walk, 
Well, that, you already have been spending your whole life watching other people do that. You're here for you, please. Let me leave you with this thought about a retreat. It's a strange form in one sense until you get used to it and realize the, how precious it, the silence can be. When a group of people come here at a time like this for a purpose such as we have, uh, we're both alone and we're also together in a very unusual way. Uh, you're here to really learn about yourself. You have a rare opportunity. We've taken everything else away. You, don't, you have almost nothing else to do but just to live and to become sensitive to your living as you do it. But we're also together because having company, what is called in Buddhism a Sangha, that is a community of practitioners, people who are walking the path together, is of tremendous help. And for most of us, for quite a while, we won't, wouldn't be able to do it on our own. But just sometimes you get discouraged and you peek and you see that other people are still at it. And then you get some uh, energy from your reserve gas tank and then you, you're back again practicing. So it's just more encouragement for us all to uh, protect this retreat form. Uh, and I'll make a few other suggestions when, for the rest of the day when we will uh, be much more uh, in an environment that's not conducive to silence. It won't be silent, yeah. Okay, shall we, please. Yes. These are the things that we all learn. That is, finally, you, you will uh, guide yourself. Uh, by the way, the walking is not some... Sometimes I see people strain and create a most dramatic step, you know, almost a, a ballet step. I don't know, in order to get some incredible sensation so that they can be mindful of it. This is really ordinary stuff. Vipassana is just very boring, ordinary stuff. It's just our life as it is. Sometimes it's interesting. But what we're learning is to be sensitive throughout. Okay, so uh, the steps are just ordinary steps. And as you uh, get to know yourself, you see, to me, that's a little piece of self-knowledge. You just learned about how you need to do walking meditation. Do you see what I mean? It's nothing wrong with how you did it. Someone else may learn that they have to take slightly longer steps or... Uh, yes, yeah, so then... Uh, th that's in part how mindfulness helps you learn how to live. That may seem like a trivial example, but the principle will extend to everything. That is, as you notice how you live here, you're noticing how you walk, and that can help you correct how you walk. D do you see what I'm getting at? So it isn't like there's the right way and the wrong way. It's just to launch you and now for you to pay attention and learn. Anything else? Some of you are pondering this very deeply. It's not that profound. <laughs> About a half hour. Someone will ring a bell. You don't have to determine. Yeah, you just do the walking. Uh, we'll, we'll do the rest. Okay, shall we make our way again in the hall or right near the hall? But I, I've been told that if you go down there to the lake, it's an excellent... Uh, place to walk, and I'll, I'll allow enough time so that we get there. And then when you hear the bell, someone will come down to the lake and ring the bell. Uh, we'll make our way back to the hall, please. You choose a path? Yes. You, about 20 steps? About 20 paces. 20. No, no, you don't have to count it. Just you want it, uh, uh, it can be 20, 30, 25, uh, just so it's back and forth. So you can. Uh, just so you know, you go. You know where your path ends, and you know where it begins. That's all. You don't have to count the steps.
You can do it in here. Sure. The breathing. Walking meditation is over. We let it go. Judgments, afterthoughts, reactions. Sure, they're in the mind right now. And we're not at war with them, but we sit down and we gently but also decisively turn to the breathing. Recall taking it one breath at a time. Giving full care and attention to each breath as it happens. Learning the art of allowing, which as you'll see later on is quite important in our practice. We've had a lot of occasions where we control things, or at least try to. And here we're learning the art of allowing, to permit the breath to unfold in its own way. It's a kind of surrender. Sometimes the breath is deep, sometimes the breath is shallow. Sometimes it's coarse or fine. It can be a real joy to breathe as the air enters and exits freely. And at other times it's as if the breath is fighting its way in and out and it's not very pleasant to be breathing. Can we stay awake in the midst of all this and just notice the breath exactly the way it is? This in-breath. This out-breath. And permitting everything that is other than the breath to unfold in its natural way as well. We're not trying to have a clear mind. The clarity comes out of the careful attention to breathing. Quite naturally, the mind will quiet itself. So the head, neck, and back are in a straight line. Relaxed and alert. Once again, we notice the obvious fact that each and every one of us in this room is breathing.
breath goes in and the breath goes out. Everyone on this planet is breathing, who's everyone who's alive. All that we're adding is a bit of consciousness so that we know we're breathing. You may find that even though you understand the instructions to not control the breath but to permit it to go its own way, you may find that you are controlling it anyway, perhaps holding an out-breath back just a little or rushing an in-breath in a little. If you try not to control, then it's more of the same. You're fighting with yourself. All that is necessary is something a lot simpler. Just notice the controllingness itself. Feel how there's some effort to push along or hold back. And in that seeing, usually the breath relaxes into a, a more natural rhythm. And when the, the mind slips off the breathing, notice I said when, not if, once we notice that, in fact, we're not with the breathing, but we're preoccupied with something, a worry, a plan, a hope, an expectation, a memory, could be anything, we see that we're not with the breathing. Just noticing that, and easing back to the in-breath, to the out-breath, with no blame, no judgment, just coming back. keeping physical movement to a minimum. But if you find that you simply must move the body one way or another, please do it with attention so that you do it knowingly. That will keep the practice of mindfulness alive. 
let's sit and breathe for a few moments. Okay, let's please feel free to question freely. There's no such thing as a dumb question. All I ask is that the questions be about your actual meditation experience. Yes? Your what? So you must be a human being. Yeah, you're one of those. Yeah. Uh, to begin with, that's the way it is. The problem isn't that your mind is going away to noises, etc. It's that now you care about it, don't you? Yeah, but I mean, so you suffer a little, right? Uh, because you have an idea as to how your mind should be. Your mind shouldn't do that. You heard the instructions. It should be a, like a, la a laser beam never miss. But it isn't that way, is it? Your mind... What? Uh, but you see, um, the fact that your mind goes away many times isn't the problem. The, pro the fact that it bothers you is the problem. So you can see that. See in the mind how much you care. See, now we're starting to bring wisdom in already. The practice that we're doing so far is called shamatha. It's a training in serenity and calmness and tranquility. The second kind of practice is called insight or wisdom practice. And as the mind gets much more calm and concentrated, the depths of its seeing can produce deeper kind of wisdom, of course. But even now, no matter what your state of your mind is, you can, by reflection, begin to see ways in which you suffer unnecessarily. So that in this moment, it would be nice if your mind just stayed with the breath until you heard the bell, not missing one in or out breath. But instead, it's all over the place. Okay, 
the practice, the instructions remain the same. I have no magic bullet. It's just that you're over here, you come back. You're over here, you come back. You're up there on the ceiling, you come back. You're in Europe, you come back. You're in California, you come back. The problem is you're going to start minding that. See? So that as you start seeing how the mind has some ideal as to how it should be, and we do this a lot throughout the day, it shouldn't be this way, it shouldn't be this hot, it shouldn't be this cold, the lines here shouldn't be this long, but they are. And your mind is exactly the way it is. How many other people had an experience similar to yours? Just so you don't feel lonely, look around. Yeah. See, if that's why we need a practice. Because in the beginning stages, the mind is really wild. It's sometimes called cascading mind. It's very much like a waterfall. So now you know that. That's actually considered an attainment, believe it or not. Most people are walking around with the same cascading mind, but they don't realize it. They're even leading whole countries and starting wars, you know. Okay. So um, notice how it bothers you. Now, how do you correct it? How does the mind uh, become tame? It's not by struggling with it, but it's by gently coming back, coming back. And little by little, the mind learns to settle down. And when you get bothered, as you may again, just hearing me say what I said is not necessarily enough, just see it. Just, you know, just notice, oh, look at that, I'm suffering in this moment because I, I want my mind to be much clearer than I think it should, than it is. I want, and in the gap between that, how it should be and how it actually is, causes suffering. Is, is that part clear? And then just come back to the breathing again. I'm sorry, it's a simple instruction, but it's quite ruthless. You know, there's no, uh, I, if I had some other way. When you say come No, there's no visualization. Uh, you have to, let's say, escort it back gently, guide it back, like your child, you know. Yeah, so you just, it's graceful. See, now if you have blame, and if you have a standards how it should be, then it's, you get back there. Yeah, okay, that's good. So now in the coming back, if you, and of course, there are certain spiritual qualities that are important in all the great traditions. And one of them is patience. No matter what your orientation is, one of the great traditions or none of them, patience is a tremendous asset in life. Uh, you definitely will develop patience doing this. Now, as you start coming back, the mind will learn that, um, that there's a certain fulfillment when it learns how to do that. And it will quite naturally want to to do what we're doing. Right now, it has all kinds of other projects. Remember, you've had a lot of training. I don't know you, but you've had a lot of practice doing what your mind, your mind has had a lot of practice doing that. So, but it's, that's our normal starting point. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. What's important, I'm not invested in the breath. I'm not in the breath business. You know. uh, what's important is that your mind learn. See, what I hear is that it's still, it's a kind of high class restlessness. It's not your usual humdrum restlessness. <laughs> 
This is mantra, spiritual practice. Maybe some guru gave it to you. Yeah. Yeah. See, whatever our first practice is, it, it's all conditioning. So if uh, I, had a, I had koans in Zen, and my mind, when I started taking this, some of its koans would come back. Okay, now all they are are thoughts. So in that sense, they're no different than the thoughts that visit you or visit me. Uh, but if you're jumping around, I'm not. A, if you want, you can use the mantra. That's up. You can key the mantra to the breathing. It's all right. But what I wouldn't do is uh, be divided, jumping around, jumping here, jump. And then you stay with the breathing. Okay. Actually, in the Thai forest tradition, you're welcome to use this. It's been used for thousands of years. There's a very, it's not exactly a mantra, it's very similar, it's called Budo. On the in-breath you go Bu, and on the out-do. Budo simply means the one who knows. It's a name for the Buddha. But it's really a name for the mind that's clear. Uh, Budo, because the word Budo is not really important, that's a name for knowing a, a clear mind. But whatever your mantra is, if you prefer to use it uh, to help you stay with the breath, align yourself with the breath, that's fine. But I wouldn't go jumping back and forth. Yeah. Please. I have two sure. What about counting? I Fine. Count to ten and sure. Sure. There are many uh, ways to assist you. Um, I gave you one in out, but now you're all uh, doing my work for me. Uh, but be careful. I mean, you you could spend days, weeks, and months shopping. You know, at a mall. For I think I'll count now, and then I'll do my mantra in out. How about my koan? Uh, you see what I mean? Yeah. The key thing is whatever helps you stay with the breathing. Now, if counting, and we're all different, that's why we have to talk to each other so that you may benefit from counting. Someone else may be me or mine, yours may be mantra. The main thing is that it helps you uh, unify your attention. Let me try to describe why we're doing this. To begin with, the mind is quite scattered. If you look, you'll see. Well, you just said it, right? It's all over the place past, future, fantasies, worries, and it's out of control. It's just rolling on. Using the simple breathing, what happens is, if you can stay with the breath, that means your mind is on the breath, and the breath is part of the body. The breath is kind of a bridge between the mind and the body. So by staying with the breathing, this is one advantage of the breathing, uh, you bring the body, the mind, and the breath together. They become unified. What comes out of that is a state of attention, which is very uh, strong. Because all these energies that are scattered, in a sense, wasted. These energies are dispersed all over the place. Most of them don't amount to much, do they? The hundred thousandth time, he said, and why didn't he, and why didn't he, and she, next time I meet them, next time I meet them, next time. Then no one gets away, no one treats me, over and over and over again. So we're trading in those old useless thoughts for a simpler one, in, out, in, out, or one, two, three, or whatever your mantra is. But eventually you won't need, it's sort of uh, training wheels for children, or, uh, you know, eventually it's just a direct experience of the breath, which then when it gets enlarged becomes the direct experience of your experience, not just the breathing. Tomorrow or so, or even now we've already begun, we're learning how to attend to our experience, not just the breathing, but the breath is a good doorway into it. But if counting is helpful for you, by all means. I just saw it so that others of you may want to try it, so you know about it. Uh, one good way to do it, um, 
as you follow the in and out breath, you may notice that one, the in or the out breath, is one, one is more vivid than the other. Have you ever noticed that? Anyway, let's say for some people, it is, many of us, maybe you see, oh, the in-breath is more vivid. So then start counting with the more vivid one, because that kind of helps you. So it's sort of only on the in-breath, one, and then you let the out-breath, two, three, and so forth, to ten. If you get interrupted, let's say at six, then you go back to one. It's a bit like, it has a gamey quality to it. But then people get fierce about it, you know, just sort of uh, like a Nintendo game or something. Uh, but the counting is a thought, but it's a skillful thought, since if the mind is very feverish with thinking, you might want to consider this, then you give it something to nibble on, like the, like the thought one, two, three, or in-out, or budo, or whatever your mantra is. Um, if you get interrupted, you just start at the beginning. If you find you never get to ten, then it's okay to cheat a little. Make it seven. Just go from one to seven. You're setting it up to help you so you don't create problems for yourself. And eventually, when you feel that you're pretty steady, then let that go. You don't need your crutches anymore. Let it go and just be with the in and out breath. So you're all free to use any of these methods, certainly. Yes? The other thing is that just I'm staying in the door and I didn't get a whole lot of sleep. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you stood up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, probably a number of us. Some people came in late, or it's any time you're in a new place, or all kinds of reasons. Um, I'd like to hold off on that a little, because even those of you who had a good night's rest will find yourself getting sleepy sometimes. Sometimes it's due to food, too much. Sometimes it's due to evasion. We don't want to feel certain things. so. You know, whatever, every other defense fails is good old sleep. And we'll have to learn how to work with that. But if you don't, yours sounds like it just, you know, you just need a good night's rest. Yeah. Please. I have two experiences I'd like to... On this, that have happened just now? You what? I don't necessarily know. Uh, do you want me to say you're psychic? <laughs> I'll say it. I'll say you're psychic. Okay. Okay, here's why I say, I mean, I could make up reasons, but here's typically what happens, and I was why, please don't mind, I have to, I'm trying to be helpful, I was watching how some of you walk, do the walking meditation. Uh, the mind will make up reasons to stop whatever you don't, at any time, it, it has urges. For example, if I keep sitting this way, you know that, let's say it's already begun, my left ankle is starting to say, hey, you know, so I find myself going over a little bit over this way because I want to, I don't want to suffer. The ankle is saying, I don't like it. And I'm uh, going like that. And then it'll be the right ankle. And then it'll be the back. Uh, so they're all along, they're going to be urges. And when you start to sit, let's say when you go home, people will have the feeling, it's time to get up. Okay. Now, sometimes that comes out of wisdom where the sitting won't be fruitful anymore. You know, let's say you've sat for an extended period of time. At other time, and uh, from here on in, you won't be able to do it. And so there's no point in 
making it drudgery for yourself. But at other times, these are the very obstacles, in quotes, that we need to look at. Urges would say, for example, I noticed some of you are walking and you were doing a beautiful job and then suddenly the mind makes up a reason, a cup of, a cup of water would be really good right now. So then, then the walking ends and some of you go to the bathroom, then walk a little, time to go to the bathroom. So it's a kind of hidden restlessness, you know, where the mind uh, is looking, I, I can't bear this anymore, I need some variety, novelty. So I don't know why you're minded that, but what I would suggest is as you're sitting and walking, you may have been attuned. I, I wasn't really joking. You may have been attuned to that because I have to watch my watch. And so you may have felt, you know, it's almost over. I don't know. But what's important isn't that. What's important is that see if you can stay with the breathing. And now the mind has said, your time is up. The sitting is over. And fine, that's one thought among many possible thoughts. Endless. Uh, but still remain with the breathing. Which one holds your attention more? Yeah, look, uh, you're all free to walk at any pace you would like. Uh, the walking slowly is, we all do walk at a normal pace. We, you, you already know that. We've introduced something new. That is, most of you don't walk that slowly, right? I mean, am I right? Or, or is insight meditation spreading to the whole world? You know, like. Uh, so it has a certain use. There's nothing especially slow, uh, holy about slow. Some people think there is. That when they're walking slowly, it means they're spiritual. It's just slow. Uh, nor is there anything worldly about fast. It's just fast. Uh, that has more to do with the quality of being, the quality of the nature. But when you slow down like that, it's another technique. It's an asset. It can help your mind slow down. Uh, now, could you tell me what the difficulty is again, was again with the slow walking? Yes. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. I understand. That's it was for me. It was exactly the same way. But uh, here's what I would suggest for many of you who are new: it will seem quite unnatural, uh, and you may find it boring. All kinds of negative associations to it. Why am I doing this? You feel foolish. I would suggest you try it for a while before you throw it away because it is another useful form. It really can be very, very helpful. Uh, and so let's say if we can reenact what you just did, uh, what happened to you. You're doing the walking meditation and you don't particularly, you're not drawn to it and there's resistance to it. Come and stop, uh, come to a halt and experience the resistance to it, how much you really don't want to do this. It feels unnatural, everything you said. And then usually that will thin out a bit, subside, and even disappear, and then resume the walking. In other words, I would give this method a chance, but natural walking is fine as well. So, so that w the main thing we're learning is awareness, mindfulness. Now, you may discover after you give this a try that you're going to be doing much more natural walking even here, and that's fine. Yeah. Please. 
It's what? I'm sorry. It was awkward to walk that slow? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Okay, it's not banned, but uh, I would say the key thing is uh, that ordinary walking isn't enough for you. And what we're learning is uh, to be with our life as it is, so that the, the walking, doing exotic things, can of course perk us up a bit. And in the short run, it may seem like it has some use. And I'm not saying never do it. But in the long run, what we're trying to do is to be alert to our life as we live it. And so, do you see what it is? It's a little, we don't need so many special, special effects, you know, Steven Spielberg special effects and not, so, but that's what we want, isn't it? Doesn't you want, wouldn't you like it if there were lights and explosions at least once during the five days here? Yeah, but this is, you know, there are other ways to do that, right? Easier. Mm-hmm. And I wondered um, whether that was because I had one short session of mm-hmm. already doing, or was it the fact that my body was moving? Yes. Itself? Yes. What you find as you, if you continue to do this practice, uh, that each practice reinforces the other. So that sitting for a while, having calmed down a little bit, certainly will help enhance the walking. The walking will then enhance the sitting. And after a while you realize that there's just life going on. That's all there is. But each of these forms, we're using them, we're separating them. But you may also find, as there are individual differences. Some people, uh, for example, if we were to work together for a while, we may find that walking is a very fruitful door for you as a practice. So maybe it would be suggested do more walking meditation, a little bit less sitting. And that changes as you go on. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who uh, went... Uh, went to India to study meditation many years ago, had read all these books and was really fired up. And then when he got there and found a very wonderful teacher, uh, he found that he hated sitting. You know, it was nice reading Alan Watts about it, but then it's another thing to do it. And uh, he really had a very, very difficult time doing the sitting. But he did enjoy the walking meditation, so his teacher was skillful. said, don't fight so much, do a lot of walking, forget about sitting for a while. Uh, he's a Zen monk now, so eventually, be careful. You don't know what this leads to. Yeah, yeah. But so, you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. yeah. Please. It's okay. Everyone, we have time for everyone. Yes. 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 That. I understand. That's chronic introspection. <laughs> yeah. And, which we all know how to do. Nothing personal. I don't know you, right? So, and I don't mean to be insulting. Okay. Uh, and some of that, of course, is useful, and no one's saying never do that. But it isn't this. So, for this part of the practice, that would be another distraction. Why is this coming? Where did it come from? I knew I shouldn't have. Why didn't he? He. Okay. That's the busyness of the mind. And I'm not saying finding that out is worthless. But for right now, that's preventing you from... See, it depends what you've set for yourself to do. Uh, if you uh, hand yourself over you know, to this uh, method, then what you've set yourself 
to do is what is being suggested, which is to take the simple breath out of all the things you could attend to in life. We've reduced all that complexity to an in-breath and an out-breath. It's quite dramatic when you think of it. Okay. So in, out, in, out, and all this other complexity doesn't go away. It's kind of making demands on you like a child. Okay. So that was yours. And for someone else it's sound. For a third person it's, it's endless. So the content is all different. But from our point of view, all of it is a distraction. Because what we're learning, and let me give you a sense of why. Because sometimes people do this and they're not motivated. We're letting go of all those other possibilities, right? You could be doing what you're doing, and every one of us could be following all these creative possibilities in the mind. Instead, we let it go and we come back to in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. What's the point of that? What can come out of that is an unwavering quality of attention, which is hard to develop in other ways, an unwavering quality of attention, which you can then direct towards whatever else is happening in your life. It's a tremendous asset. Now, that unwavering quality of attention is not going to drop from a cloud, and if you want to pray for it, I hope you get it. But I, the only way that I know to get it is you practice it. And it's something that can be learned. Many, many people before us have learned it. And if you read the ancient texts, they all sound like what you're saying and what you're saying. The human mind is, in one sense, has not changed at all. So that the training is set up with a realistic understanding how wild the mind is and how many preoccupations it has already. And it's, can we replace all of that? Not forever, you know, you'll, it's just for while we're practicing. Can you temporarily let it go into abeyance and just enjoy your breathing? Yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, uh, that uh, sounds okay to me if you can go with it. See, um, what you'll discover is, as many of us have, that even when we think we're not controlling the breath, as you get calmer, you realize there was a subtle kind of control going on. Um, so uh, there is a state in the practice, which is uh, very clear and observable, where you're sitting and it feels as if you're being breathed. Okay. That means there's no effort whatsoever. There's no ego. See, here's part of the problem. Let's say, especially for those who are brand new, the breath was not such a big deal, right? I mean, you know you want to have it, because otherwise you're dead. But, uh, and if you get a cold, you care. If you get the wind knocked out of you, you care, and so forth. But by and large, it's not so interesting. Suddenly you found out that there's some cash value in the breathing. The ego has found out that you can get enlightened with this stuff. Wow. So now it wants to get into the act, like it wants to get into everything that we do. And it's brilliant. So, you want me to be a yogi, a Vipassana yogi, follow the breath? I'll get into that one. The only problem is that that's the problem. I see you understand. Yeah. So what can we do? If you try to fight with it, it's more of the same. If you try not to control, isn't that a kind of control? So, it's hopeless. Just give up and observe you trying to make things be a certain way. And as you do that, sometimes it's just so humorous that you stop. 
But little by little, you learn the art of uh, not calculating so much, not controlling so much, to allow nature to unfold. This will be very, very important, because if you can learn it on the breath, just to get a, a little bit ahead of ourselves, supposing you're tired of being afraid, or whatever other problem, in quotes, you've brought here as a human being, um, it turns out that the way to go beyond fear is to learn how to allow fear to surface and for you to be intimate with fear, to really examine it. Uh, otherwise, everything else short of that seems to be a, an escape from fear, and it doesn't, you, we can't get free. So what the lessons we're learning on the breath, simple-minded as it may seem, are actually big ones, because as we learn how to allow this breath to happen quite naturally, and, and give the calculating mind a break, give it a rest, there, it doesn't mean forever. When you go back to work on Monday, you need a calculating mind, but here you don't. Does that make any sense? I knew there was a butt in there. Right, okay. It's the same mind that wants to have perfect breathing also has a butt. All right. What's hard to live with? All this is thinking, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same. Finally, you'll see. Okay, the first teacher I had was a Korean Zen master. And I would come into every interview, interview after interview for weeks. This was a longer treat. And he would just say, too much thinking. That was the only help he gave me. <laughs> we kind of pamper you a little bit. We give you all these words. Too much thinking. But it turns out that finally that was the problem. Okay, so then one day I came in. I had a sitting where the mind was very quiet and joyful, and I was just f flowing with the breathing. And I came in and I said, I'm so happy. And I said, uh, no thinking. I didn't have any thinking for about 15 minutes. And he looked at me and said, what's wrong with thinking? <laughs> See, because then you get attached to that. The point is we're learning how to, yeah. But for right now, that would be a good attachment. If you can have no thinking, let's get, yeah, that's all right. And then we'll learn how to let go of that one. Yeah. But you'll see that all of them are versions of the mind one way or another. Look, the activity is so simple-minded. Just here's in, out, in, out. Just notice it, right? It's not rocket science. That's why it's difficult, perhaps. It's very, very simple. Yeah, please. Yeah. An experience I have that's still related to, to this is uh, um, I've been meditating for many years. Mm -hmm. GM and I did mantra and about three years now doing insights. Mm -hmm. The last six years, when I started to meditate, I started to get like a, a tightness, just a, just a tightness all around my throat area. And um, all I've been doing was just watching it, being with it. Uh, I do, but I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, for, but uh, that's where the insight work really comes in to be very, very helpful. Uh, it's uh, how you do the watching and what it is that you see. But we will definitely get that. If I don't bring you that case up specifically, remind me. Yes? This may be the same, similar situation. Yeah. Because again, I have done most of the meditation and only really started focusing on the breath and changing the breath for about three to six months. And then I uh, was introduced to the insights that were panoramic. So where I feel quite confused, even in the statement you just said, well, then you know, observe, feel that fear. I understand that part from meditation. You, know, you understand that what? I understand how to do that outside of meditation, but 
Yeah. But where I'm getting hold up is, so we observe it, but then if we know that we're not on the breath, do we No, oh, okay, no. I understand. No, it's, it's not really a matter of, ba- of, of balance so much as right now those are two different practices. Both are related. They work together like the right and the left hand. Right now, all we're learning how to do is to calm and concentrate the mind. Okay. Say so now. With, and it's with, here's the logic of it. It's not complicated either. As we learn to calm and concentrate the mind, isn't the calm and concentrated mind in a much better position to observe fear? If the mind itself is all over the place, what's going to Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.